I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 23. And if you will, I'm going to look at a couple of other scriptures as an introduction this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and John chapter 13. So if you would turn to those places. I'm going to read several scriptures this morning. Um, I'm very thankful for the word of God and that we have it. And I appreciate God's word. And it is living and it's powerful and it separates soul and spirit. So read it with me so your soul and spirit can be just separated by the word of God. That The spiritual and the carnal could be separated. and You could know what God wants to say into your own life. Um, I wanted to make a comment about the presence of God. It's not the presence of God that changes things. It's the awareness of God's presence that changes things. And... You know this because when God robed himself in flesh and lived among us, he stood face to face with some of the greatest minds of his day and some of the most incredible religious and holy people that you could ever imagine possible. And they did not recognize the presence of God when he was in front of them. And furthermore, I would say that it's not really the awareness of God's presence that makes the change. It's your reverence for God's presence. It's your respect and your response to God's presence. Because a lot of times we may understand the presence of God, may even be aware of God's presence. But like Moses, we don't have, or or unlike Moses, we don't have the time to draw near. We don't have time to come to the burning bush. We don't have opportunity to take our shoes off and stand on that holy ground and let the word of God that's going to come to us today change our whole life and maybe the destiny of millions of other people. I wonder what would have happened today if if the Lord was speaking to you through Felix or Becca or even the word that Scooter gave or through the worship and God was speaking to you and, and maybe you didn't draw near to it. And it's not too late, praise God. But maybe at this point you didn't draw near to it. Could the salvation of millions of people be depending upon you? It's possible because the deliverance of millions of people were depending upon Moses to go to that burning bush and have a conversation with God that was going to change his life. And I ask you with all of my heart before you leave today, would you just allow God to have the opportunity to talk to you about your heart? I want God to talk to me about my heart. And the word that God gave us this morning through Scooter is absolutely true. That God is dealing with our hearts and with our spirits. That's how he works. That's what he's talking to. So open your heart up to God right now. There might be some tough things that God says to you. Joe was reading this morning in his message. And in Revelation chapter 3, there was a passage. Jesus was talking to, to his own church in Revelation 3. And Jesus said that I rebuke and I chasten those I love. And I thought, wow, that's really remarkable because we live in a society today that really you can't you can't rebuke or correct or be in a disagreement with another person without the whole relationship falling apart. You know, we've we've been conditioned, I guess, for the last few years about this word snowflake, you know, just something so fragile, you blow on it. It just falls apart. And it seems like that's the way maybe even a lot of Christians are today. But Jesus said, those that I love, I rebuke and chasten. And and that is a demonstration of his love for us. And I think a demonstration of our love for Jesus is rebuke me because I know you love me and chasten me because I want to be right with you. I want to be corrected by you. I want to walk uprightly in your family. Now, that's new covenant. That is Jesus in Revelation 3 speaking to his church. And so I say that for us, you know, that I want the love of God to just have its work in my life this morning. And I appreciate you praying for me and just pray. The more I preach, the stronger my voice will get. And I promise you, as soon as I discern the Holy Spirit says to stop, I will. All right. And in Proverbs chapter three, verse six, (laughs) the Bible says, don't eat the bread of him that has an evil eye. Neither desire 
his dainty meats. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with you. The morsel which you have eaten, you will vomit up and lose your sweet words. And I just wanted to talk about that because the situation here in Proverbs is one of such where you're at the table of somebody else and that somebody else is encouraging you to eat up. But they don't really mean it. They're more afraid of the cost of their food. And they're concerned about how much you actually may eat. So with a smile on their face and a kind word to you, they're saying, eat up. Eat as much as you want. Have as much of this expensive ribeye steak that you want to eat. But inside, that's not what their heart is saying. Their heart is not with you. The heart that they have does not want you to do that. And so no man knows another man's heart, but the heart in man knows his own heart. You know your heart. And that's the next scripture that I want us to read. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul tells us this by the Holy Spirit, something very, very important that I want us to be aware of today. And he says in verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. As a man thinks in his heart, that's what he really is. That's what he really thinks. Regardless of what he says to your face, regardless of how kind he might be, regardless of how assuring a person may be, but they're thinking in their heart is what they really are. And the Bible says in verse 11, that what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him. So here's the situation. I cannot and I do not know how you really feel about me. I don't really know just based on your words what you really think about me. Because you're the only one that really knows that. The spirit that is in you knows your heart that's something that I don't know so we oftentimes take each other at our words trusting and hoping that what we are saying we really do mean from our hearts and oftentimes the words that we speak can come from our hearts but there's something critical we need to understand not only is it God who works in the heart of man, but it's Satan who also works in the heart of man. And I have witnessed many people stand in an altar before to make lifelong vows to one another that I believe in their heart they meant. But life happened. And Satan was in life. And though life was happening and circumstances were going on all around me, the whole time Satan was not in the circumstances. Just like God with Elijah was not in the earthquake or the thunder or the wind. And Satan was not in the circumstances, though he was maybe a part of having all of that distraction. What Satan was after was the heart. Therefore, people who with pure hearts and honest hearts and sincere hearts who made lifelong vows to one another in a marriage covenant come to a place in life down the road, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 or 30 years down the road. They just decide, I no longer love you. I no longer want to be with you. Something has changed in my heart. And the question is, who made the change in the heart? Would God make such a change in your heart in regards to a vow that God was committed through his grace to help you make? Or would Satan make that kind of change in your heart that would no longer love? And then how long as a married couple would you go through the motions of telling your wife how much you love her, but in your heart you've already left her? 
Or how long would you go and how much would you do to tell your husband how much you love him? But in your heart, you've already stopped loving him. He doesn't know that yet. But he will find out in a matter of time. Because what is in your heart, you cannot prevent from coming out as the testimony of your life. Therefore, we have in this scripture, who can know the heart of man, but the spirit of man that is in him. And so with great carefulness this morning, I ask you to be honest about your heart. Be honest about your life with God and the spirit that is in you. Because you can fool everybody else, but you're not fooling yourself. And you're not fooling God. And if your heart is changing for the worst, then that is the work of Satan. And Satan is not content to just change your heart. Satan wants to have a testimony of how he changed your heart by the actions he is about to help you create. And Satan will get the glory for that. And that is where we go to John 13. I know this isn't just the kind of wonderful stuff you always want to hear. You know, we, we, we like to hear, tell me how good I am. Tell me how I do everything right. You know, just, just tell me that God loves me and tell me that everything is fine. And I love being able to tell us things like that through the grace of God. But I want us to have the truth. And I want us to have hope in the grace of God. That even though our hearts might have been changed by the devil, or maybe our hearts are undergoing a change not for the good, there is a heart surgeon here today. And the Holy Spirit can undo what Satan has done. And I ask you this, please, be patient with each other. Especially as Christians, be patient with each other. Because we do live in a society that cannot be corrected. We live in a society of people where you cannot be rebuked. You cannot be confronted. It is taken as legalism. It is taken as hate. It is taken, any form of criticism is taken as something from the pit of hell. But remember that Jesus said, those that I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so be patient with one another if you truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't like me right now. Give God a little more time because he's not finished with me. Can we put hope in God for that, for the body of Christ, for other churches in our city where you might say, I don't like that church, but it's a Christian church and they love Jesus. Say, But I don't like that church. Would you be patient and allow the Holy Spirit a little more time? Because isn't he conforming us all to Jesus? And wouldn't you sit there and say, I love Jesus. Well, guess what? That's who he's making me like. And that's who he's making you like. And I want to be patient to allow the Holy Spirit to have his perfect work in me and in you as well. All right? But I don't want Satan to have his work. And that is where our ability as the body of Christ to love one another, even to bring correction into each other's life, is to identify, not that you're so wrong, but somebody that is wrong is at work in your heart. And if the devil's at work in my heart, please come tell me. Please come confront me. That there's something that's going on in you that is not good. There are things coming out of your mouth and from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks that just don't seem to be right, Pastor Lee. And so I want to talk to you about this. Please do that because I don't want the devil to have inroads into my heart. I want it to be the work of God. Do you understand? Are you with me? So in John chapter 13, um, a, a passage of scripture that I know you're all familiar with. But in John chapter 13, the Bible, this is the last supper. Jesus is about to be betrayed. And in verse 2, it says this. And supper being ended, 
the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And verse 27 says, After the sop, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, because he does know our hearts, what you do, go do quickly. Once it was in the heart, there was very little that was going to be done to stop it. But not only was the desire now in Judas's heart, but Satan was inside of Judas. And Jesus recognized that. And so Jesus tells Judas, moves Judas to action. Because this is what he knew is part of God's plan. It wasn't God making Judas do this. He knew Judas would do this. But the goal of the devil is to plant things into your heart. To plant thoughts into your heart. To plant desires into your heart. To bring disruption. You see, nobody else at the table had any clue what was going on with Judas. As a matter of fact, everyone else at the table thought Judas, I would, I would even venture to say, maybe the greatest apostle at the table. Nobody had any suspicion about Judas. Judas was the guy that was one of the disciples that went around saying everything that needs to be said, said it very well, behaved himself very well, so much so that Jesus says, Judas, would you take the bag and you be our bookkeeper? Wow, you, you only do that for people you really, really trust. And so even when Jesus said at the, at, the, at the dinner, he said, tonight one of you is going to betray me. They, none of them point, it's Judas, I know it. I, I've been watching this guy. He's just got a bad heart. I know it's Judas. Not one of them pointed to Judas. As a matter of fact, it was even Peter who said to John, ask him who it is. Ask him, it could be any of us, ask him who it is. And Jesus said, this is who it is. Now, you you're imagine, there's 13 of you at a table. And Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Who's going to do it? And Jesus said, this is who's going to do it. The one that I dip the bread into the, into the juice and, and then give that bread dipped in juice to the person. That's who's going to do it. And it says, you can read it in John 13, immediately. Not an hour later or four hours later. So they forgot. Immediately, Jesus took the bread, dipped it in the juice, gave it to Judas. And the disciples still didn't get it. But Jesus did. And Judas did. Because this wasn't the first moment that Judas's heart began to go astray from Jesus. As a matter of fact, Judas had been tempted and enticed greatly for months now, if not from the very beginning. I know what I want with Jesus. And I know what I want him to be. And I know the kind of Messiah that I want to have. And I'm going to do everything I can to manipulate the circumstances so that Jesus truly is our Messiah, and delivers us from Roman oppression. But every time Judas would try to steer Jesus in that direction, Jesus already knew. And Jesus refused to be steered by Judas. And so Judas is coming to a moment of crisis because Jesus is making a lot of people happy, but he's making more people mad. And there's a growing revolt against Jesus. Now this revolt is occurring among the rulers of Israel. The high priest, the leading dignitaries, people with money, people with authority are rallying together now to do something with Jesus. Because Jesus is stealing all of the popularity. And Judas sees this happening because Judas was a part of those types of, of relationships with powerful people. And Judas, seeing it happen, understands, I have to take matters into my own hands. I've collected enough silver. I'm going to go to the high priest. 
And I'm going to tell them when they can get Jesus and how they can get Jesus. And I will even point Jesus out to them so that they get the right one. And I'll do it with a kiss. But only Judas knew what was in his heart. And I am betraying this man for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas knew that the whole time, but nobody else did. So I'm asking you this morning. Are you kissing like Judas? Are you reclining at the table and eating dinner like Judas, knowing fully well that once dinner's over, I'm out of here. My heart is already gone. Now I'm just going through the motions. Because this is not the way that I want it to be. Things are not going the way I wanted them to go. Whatever that is in our life, whatever that is in you, if it's your marriage, if it's the way you feel about your parents, if it's the way that you feel about your friends, you are the only one who knows what's going on in your heart. And if you can understand what's going on in your heart, then you can know who's working in your heart. And it's either God or Satan. And when God is working in your heart, you don't have to keep it a secret. But when Satan is working in your heart, you have to kiss like Judas. And you have to eat like Judas. You hide it inside of yourself knowing I'm out of here. The time is coming. Dinner's going to end. And I'm going to be gone. And so I ask you to really consider that in regards to what God has put in my heart to preach today. And that is leaving your mark. And I just want to give you a few thoughts about that. Leaving your mark. Are you a friend who sticks closer than a brother? Are you a friend who is born for adversity? We, we don't have many of those in this generation. A lot of snowflakes, if you will. We love to rebuke everyone else. But if you rebuke me, then we're just going to have problems from then on. Are you the friend that is born for adversity? Because that's what friends are born for. Now, it's not just unique to us. I'll just remind you of some statements that even just Paul, this is just one man made about his life and the friends that were in his life. I have nobody like Timothy. Of all of the friends that I have, there's one that stands out. Then he said, everyone forsook me except for Luke. He's the only one with me. Then he says, everyone in Asia. Asia is a big place. Everyone in Asia turned away from me. Demas has forsaken me. And then he said at the end of his life, no man stood with me. No man. All men forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. And the Lord will deliver me into his kingdom. What a statement. And so I say that to us because we are the people called to serve and fight in the end times. We have to be strong. We have to be brothers born for adversity. We have to be able to love one another so much that if I am 
in any way whatsoever suspicious that the devil could be working in your mind or your heart, then I want to tell you about that because I don't want the devil to work in you. And the Bible says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And so you assess that kind of judgment among ourselves as friends and say, all right, if you believe Satan's working in me, you better come tell me. I don't care how bad it hurts. I want God to work in my life. And again, and I would say this in another way as well, when you see the Lord working in somebody's life and you see the Holy Spirit working in somebody, compliment that. Tell them, I really see God working in your life. I really do that. I really believe that. And so it's it's hard to really understand what was really in the heart until the conflict comes. It's in the conflict that really draws out what was in the heart. It's it's kind of like that marriage. One more thing. One more conflict and I'm out of here and the spouse doesn't even know. But one more conflict and I'm out of here. And so it's kind of like that to be able to have the resilience and the strength of our hearts and the power of our hearts. Love, just because it is love, exposes itself to all risks, even the risk of being misused by the wicked in order to win all. We must not give up teaching love for one's enemies, even though for a time God-haters may profit at our expense. We believe that the Word is God, and in the end this Word will change the hearts of even those who hate God by our continued love and steadfastness. So we're going to get into this set of scriptures, if you will. Are you all right? In Galatians chapter 6, I just wanted to read this. This is about leaving your mark. And I wanted you to see this. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 17, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Just very quickly, what Paul is saying is in contrast to the religious people in his day. Because there were people that were coming into the church in Galatia that were standing against grace. And they were trying to bring Moses and the keeping of the law back in among the believers. And they took great pride in their circumcision. Circumcision was a mark. You know, when when Joseph's brothers came back into Egypt and Joseph was going to deliver them from the famine. Do you know, do you remember when Joseph had everyone leave the room except for his brothers and he revealed himself to them? He showed them his circumcision. He was showing them that he was Jewish. That he was their brother. And the Jewish people and and religious people took great pride in their circumcision. This is our mark that we are in covenant with God. And the Apostle Paul said, I will never magnify that as the mark of my relationship with God ever again. Because I've left that covenant to come into the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And now I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. I bear in my body the marks of this new covenant. And Paul left his mark in the world. And I beg you with all of my heart before the rapture of the church and the return of Jesus Christ. For however many seconds we have left, would you be committed to leave your mark? Be different. Be different than a lot of Christianity that you see. Be different than the majority of people that live in our world today. And have the capacity to love even when you're not being loved and have the capacity to forgive, even if you're not being forgiven and to show mercy, even if that mercy is thrown back into your face, keep giving it out. Just keep giving it out. Be different. Be Christ-like. Have the mark of Christ in your life. And so I want to go to Second Corinthians, which is just one book back, so we won't have to travel far, okay? So just flip in your Bibles with me. I know sometimes people are like, oh man, we read so many scriptures. Well, these are just like two or three pages apart. So it's, it's not a lot of work. And he says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, Paul says this about these false teachers that would always come into his church and give him a bad rep. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant and stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent, y'all pray for me, I just, if I cry, I'm going to really lose my voice. In deaths often, 
of the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And journeyings often in perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils by the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings, which is sleeplessness, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things which concern my infirmity. The God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knows that I lie not. Chapter 12, verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ May rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmity. In reproaches. In necessities. In persecutions. In distresses. For Christ's sake. For when I am weak. Then am I strong. And then this last part is in verse 14. Behold the third time. I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be a burden to you because I'm not seeking yours, but you. I don't want what you have. I want you. For the children ought not lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Just remember chapter 11, verse 24 through 31. I will very gladly spend... And be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less am I loved. Be it so, I did not burden you, nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I not, did I make a gain of you by any of them who I sent to you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make a gain of you? Walked we not in the same spirit? Walked we not in the same steps? And so I wanted to say to you and submit to you that the mark of Jesus Christ that was on Paul's life was the mark of grace and the mark of love. The ability to continue in love. The ability to demonstrate love, which is the chief attribute and the maturity of the saint, is love. And Paul's ability through hardship and necessities and persecutions... And rejections never diminished his capacity to show love. But actually these things increased his ability to show love. Which I submit to you is not human. Not in our humanity. It was the norm of Jesus' humanity. But not ours. And therefore it wasn't Paul's. And so I believe Paul would be able to say emphatically. The mark of Jesus Christ on me. Is that I'm the guy rejoicing in my weakness. I'm the guy that's suffering for the church. I'm the guy that's not interested in what you've got but you. And I'm the guy that the more I love you, the less you love me, but my love increases for you. And I believe Paul would say, I can't stop it. It's just something that is really happening to me. And if you would, just turn a couple of pages forward to Galatians chapter 1. And he says this, continue in the mark, verse 15. But would it please God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately. I conferred not with flesh and blood. And so that was his call. 
his mark to reveal Jesus Christ. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth crucified among you. And in and, and that statement, Paul is like, I wasn't your preacher. I wasn't your pastor. I didn't spend three years with you just telling you truths. I demonstrated Christ crucified before your eyes. That's the mark of Christ on Paul's life. And I believe as we close this age of the church on earth, it should be our mark as well. The mark of love. The mark of grace. The mark of sacrifice. The mark of being a friend. Not only when it's easy, but when it's hard. The mark of being a friend when everything in me would challenge me to even like you, but to want to like you. I I wrote this down. This was just, I guess, for my personal notes, but I wrote this down. I said, the miracle of Christ is that people are my greatest heartache. People are my greatest threat. People are my heaviest burden. People are my most dangerous enemy. Not Satan. If Satan didn't have people, he'd have nobody to work through. But yet I love them. People. I cannot live away from them. I must live to help them. Help them find their way in every way that I possibly can. It's something that's happened to you. Because you feel the same way. That's your testimony as well. Somebody got into my heart and started doing something with it. And now I'm loving people. And I'm facing things in life that's making me weak. But because something got into my heart and is doing a work there, now I'm actually rejoicing in weakness and reproaches and necessities and persecutions. And I'm loving every opportunity that I am being given to love people who love me less. And honestly, guys, you can't teach this. You can't teach this kind of love. It's something that happens to you. It happens through brokenness. It happens through the recognition of how much you want Jesus Christ to work in your heart and not the devil work in your heart. It happens inside of you because really the thing that you care most about It's not your personal comfort even. But you care about Jesus and his reputation and his glory in the church. And so everything that you do and everything that you can do would be to lay yourself down so that the church might be good. The church might be okay. Christians might be okay. Those that are struggling might be okay. Even those that are bringing ridicule that they might be okay. And that prodigals would know that they can come home and they won't be condemned. It is this kind of love in the body of Christ. We've seen the other kind of love that that callously walks away, that callously wrecks lives, that refuses to love, refuses to forgive, refuses to even identify the bitterness that might be in my heart. We've seen that enough in Christianity for decades. But if Jesus is really coming, then I believe he's worthy. For the world to see this kind of love. And you can't do it. And I can't do it. This is why you need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the fire of God. Because there's no way you and I are going to love like this. There's no way Paul loved like this. He said in his weakness God's grace would make him strong. And God's grace on your life is the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I want to read a few things to you and then I'm going to close. Something that I had written a while back. The preeminence of Jesus and his love. We don't need a teaching on love. We need to love. We don't need the theology of love. We need the spirit of love. We don't need people telling us to love one another. We need to love one another. 
Many are the preachers and professors of love, but few are the followers of Christ who love. Many preachers of love have wounded Christ over and again by wounding his body, by not loving his children. Love is more than me telling you the truth. It is weeping over you while I do. And then offering my life to you in order that you might be helped, saved, refusing to ever turn my back on you. I would rather love than be able to tell you what it is. If love is needed, believers need to be broken. You can't break snowflakes, but you can break soldiers. Love is the most manly trait in all of humanity. Forget your American notion. Because love is God. And God is love. And when a man is loving, he is acting more like God than in anything else he could ever be doing. Fifty-five times the New Testament commands us to love. I won't read them all. But the greatest commandment is to love God. And the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. But in case we had good neighbors, Jesus was careful to then tell us, love your enemies. Follow the way of love. Do everything in love. Serve one another in love. Live a life of love. Speak the truth in love. Put on love. Pursue love. Spur others on in love. Love in action and truth. Bear the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. There was nothing in the heart of Jesus but love. Nothing but love in him for the very ones that would send him to a cross and take his hands and feet and nail them there. There was no resentment in Jesus, no grudges, no bitterness. He left no one out. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even as they were putting the nails into his hands. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you that you love one another. By love, serve one another. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. And let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. There's nothing silly about love, nothing weak about love. But love is as strong as a lion. The love of God, which is rarely seen today. It's rarely witnessed today. But I believe with all of my heart, the Holy Spirit wants to bring a revival of love back to his church. To make us strong. To make us godly. That in the engagement that we are entering into. And I say we are entering into because it's already begun. We're going to have to be strong. And we're going to have to love one another. It is of utmost importance. A few more little statements. D.L. Moody said, The one great need in our Christian life is love. More love to God and to each other. Those who did the most for God throughout all of history were those who loved Him the most. Take any of the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. If a man loves God, you would never have to tell him that. Love is the fulfilling of the law. A man in love with God would never dream of taking God's name in vain. If he loves God, he must love man because God loves man. It would be preposterous to tell him not to kill. You could only insult him if you suggested that he not steal. How could he steal from someone he loves? He would never covet what his neighbors had. He would rather them possess it than himself. Christ's one secret of the Christian life, the key to fulfilling all of the law and all happiness is love. 
Missionaries can take nothing greater to the heathen world than the love of God working in their character. Not their ability to teach it, but their ability to demonstrate it. And what is love and character? Joy. People who love most are the most joyful. Patience, kindness, gentleness, humility, courtesy, unselfishness, sincerity. Take into your sphere of labor where you also mean to lay down your life. That simple love of God and your life work will succeed. You can take nothing greater and you need take nothing less. You may take every accomplishment. You may be braced for every sacrifice. If you give your body to be burned and have not love, it will not profit you or the cause of Christ anything. We hear much of love to God. Jesus spoke much of love to man. We make a great deal of peace with heaven. Jesus made a lot about peace on earth. The greatest thing a man can do for his heavenly father is to be kind to his children. I wonder why it is that we are not all kinder than we are. How much the world needs it. How easily it is done. Love never fails. Love is success. Love is happiness. Love is life. Where love is, God is. He that dwells in love dwells in God. God is love. Therefore, love. Love without distinction. Love without calculation. Love without procrastination. Just love. Lavish it upon the poor, where it's very easy. And especially upon the rich, who need it the most and don't know what to do with it. But most of all, upon your equals, where it's very difficult, for they know you the best. And they're able to bring up how you didn't love yesterday. What are you trying to do today? But start loving. Even in the face of that, start loving. Give pleasure. Lose no chance of giving pleasure. For that is the ceaseless and anonymous triumph of a truly loving spirit. I shall pass through this world only once. That good thing, therefore, that I can do. Or any kindness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. What if on the street corner when you're leaving church today, that homeless man is an angel in disguise? And you take the time somehow to love them. Somehow, to do something good, some kindness. And that angel scurries up into the presence of God and says, I just want you to know so-and-so stopped. And in your name, Jesus, they helped me. I just want you to know. Because they do report to God. Not that God doesn't know, but they do report to God. So here's the deal. Was that like 15 minutes? Thank you. You're the only one that knows your heart. You're the only one. And you can say all the right things. Fool everybody. But dinner's almost over. Who's working in your heart? Only one of two people, Satan or God. And if you discern at all, because nobody knows your heart but you, if you discern at all any activity of the enemy, run to this altar. Run to your refuge, Jesus Christ, and surrender it to him. And he will banish not only the devil's activity in your life, but he will strip all of that out. And he will fill you with love. Romans 5, 5. For the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Stand with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we humbly glorify you and love you and worship you. Father, I thank you that you have dealt lovingly, severely, 
carefully and mercifully and painfully with my own heart with my own bitterness my insincerity and lack of love and I say oh God I don't want anything working on my heart but you I yield my heart to you Jesus whatever activity has been going on in my heart by the devil destroy it destroy it however you do it let me rejoice in weakness by experiencing your grace and beloved you can't rejoice in weakness if you don't experience his grace you're just weak but if you would let the grace of God come minister to you you will find a supernatural strength which will be the mark of Christ on your life anybody can run anybody can give up but it's Jesus who goes all the way let him go all the way in you let us love one another let us care for one another let us serve one another let us build each other up because I tell you the king is coming the Lord is at hand and I say this to you beloved if you're here this morning and you don't know the love of God you've never been born into his family you've never experienced his forgiveness it's extended to you and whatever you've experienced whatever your excuses are for not trusting in God and his son Jesus Christ if they involve the church if they involve leaders in the church if it involves ministry in the church if it, if it involves anything somebody might have said to you that has kept you from God I want you to understand this morning that the love of God was demonstrated to you not through that church or that leader or the words of those people the love of God was demonstrated to you through the offering of his one and only son Jesus Christ on the cross for you to demonstrate to you how much he loves you and the declaration of God was the resurrection of Jesus to testify to you that I can bring you into life from death I can save you I will redeem you I do want you God does 